It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along on the final day of November and tomorrow, the 1st of December, actually marks the start of winter in the meteorological terms. And uh, winter is really coming in with a bang because Met Air and a forecasting temperatures could go as low as minus three degrees Celsius in uh, some uh, areas. According to Met Air, and there's an Arctic air mass is sweeping across Ireland this week. And it's, that's what's bringing this noticeably colder conditions than certainly we've had of late. Daytime temperatures for the rest of the week is going to struggle to get above the low single figures and then it's the nighttime temperatures. They'll be near freezing or below for the rest of this uh, week. So that's leading to widespread frost and some ice. Dense fog is also likely to develop uh, overnight. Uh, So along with any frost or ice the, the fog will be slow to clear and that obviously is going to make driving conditions at times quite Quite tr- tricky and difficult, so do be uh, careful. Metairn have already issued this status yellow, low temperature and ice warning. Now it's for 23 counties, so nearly the whole country and it's from 6 o'clock this evening and it will remain in place until midday tomorrow and we are here in Cork, one of the 23 uh, counties. While it will be a bitterly cold uh, week, it should be largely dry they are forecasting some spells of sunshine and that's due to a high pressure that is still near uh, Ireland and that high pressure they're expecting is going to remain uh, throughout the week so that will prevent any significant uh, rainfall and then of course everybody asks particularly the children what are the chances of snow? Met Aaron saying a very slight chance of snow before the weekend either tomorrow Thursday or today Thursday or maybe a little bit on uh, Friday but it's possible that some showers will turn to hail or sleet. There is the chance of snow, but they're mainly saying it's going to be over higher ground. But even when the showers do turn uh, wintry, if there is any snow showers, the accumulations uh, will be very, uh, very small. So how long is this cold snap going to last? The current indications suggest it will be colder than uh, average with further chances of wintry showers across the weekend and Monday and Tuesday at this stage also looking to be cold but mainly dry so it looks like it's here for a few days so just wrap up warm no rain and I think that's what uh, most of us will be pleased to hear 0818 103 103 
really shocked to hear this uh, story that is, um, I think it broke uh, yesterday about the rise in rents. It's a staggering rise is how it's been described uh, in the cost of rents and it's new uh, rents but seemingly existing tenancies have also seen their rents go up and now there's question marks, are landlords complying with the rent control measures? Now it seems rents for new tenancies, they've gone up by 11.6% that's in the past year and that's despite the fact that now the majority of the country is covered by what are state mandated rental pressure zones. There's a law in place for these rental pressure zones and that means that if you are renting a house or you own a house that you're putting up for rent in a rent a rental pressure zone, they're not supposed to rise above 2% every year. But new data that has been commissioned by the Residential Tenancies Board is showing that the cost of new tenancies is rising at twice the rate of what sitting tenants are being asked to uh, pay. The, uh, now, this is an average. The average rent nationally, this is for new tenancies, is now standing at 1,574. And if you compare that with last year, that's a rise of over 11%. This is the highest level of rent since the Residential Tenancy Board started recording uh, the costs and that was back in 2007 and there's now a gap of €242 per month has emerged between the average sitting tenant what they're being charged and what somebody who's moving in on a new tenancy uh, is being charged. Sinn Féin's housing spokesperson Owen O'Brien he said the rise in the cost of new rents, he was the one that used the word, it is staggering he said he raised issues about the level of compliance with the rent pressure zones regulation and asked if the figures pointed to wholesale non-compliance with the rules. The RTB said the board has no data to hand on the level of compliance. However, somebody speaking for the RTB said it would now step up enforcement of rules on rising rents now that they have this data and they have this data for the first time on existing rents. Up to now, it seems the RTB, their rent index only covered the prices charged for new tenancies. But now for the first time, they have existing rents and they have the new tenancies and they're able to compare between uh, the two. So they do now have the data. So they're hoping that they're going to be able to do more and certainly try to work out who is not complying with the rent pressure zones. Asked if the board had any information on reports that tenants are often forced to pay under the table cash amounts as part of the overall rental uh, costs. The RTB said it has no information on that and I think that is happening in a lot of uh, areas and what happens is people who are so desperate to pay rent if a landlord says well you can pay me so much over the table but I want so much under the table in order to keep a roof over your head or to put a roof over your head you can understand why people are doing that. So I think it's going to be really, really hard for the RTB to get information on that. Now, the Economic and Social Research Institute, they have compiled compiled the index for sitting tenants along with the uh, older ones on new uh, tenancy. And they say their data wasn't able to show if there was any, if there if there's a not compliance with rent pressure zones. And that's because some of the properties in the index for new rental agreements were likely to be new build apartment uh, blocks. And obviously they were not subject initially to the regulations and to work out 
if landlords were complying with the rent pressure zones statisticians we need to look at each property and its rental agreement individually and they'll have to do that over time and let's hope that's exactly what they are going to do because it does it really does seem that it's just getting harder and harder for people who are trying to rent a property, trying to pay that rent every month and then at the same time have money to cover the cost of living. And when I was reading the report that came out yesterday and just seeing how high uh, rent has uh, gone and, it, you know, at one stage it was always just Dublin had the highest rent and while Dublin is uh, still uh, really high, it's getting higher and higher now all over the country, including us uh, here in Cork. And I was thinking about my chat yesterday with the Society of St Vincent de Paul saying the number of first time callers, people who never would never consider have, having needed the help of the Society of St Vincent de Paul. And one of the reasons uh, that families are coming forward is that they're putting every every penny that they're earning is going in to cover to make sure that the rent is there uh, every month. And at the end of the end of the month, they're finding it more and more difficult to simply put food on the table and it's one of the reasons then that they're going to their local uh, Vincent de Paul to say and you know we need hampers we need food we need you know the basic food uh, items something has to be done about the cost of rent because so many people are relying on private rental accommodation uh, because either they can't afford housing or we don't have enough social housing just got a voice note in from Eileen Hi Patricia and JP I just came back from New York this morning got into Shannon and it's colder than Shannon than it was in New York. There you go. I <laughs> uh, hope we had a good trip uh, Eileen, thank you for that. Wrap up warm. It really is uh, chilly out there. We're hoping to warm up somebody's day today though because we have got another family pass to get you along to the Everyman Panto. It is uh, this year, it's Beauty and the Beast. It's opening this Saturday but we have tickets for the following Saturday, the 9th of December and to celebrate the traditional family panto at the Everyman. The Everyman have teamed up with the Leisureplex to give you a fun, festive family day out. You'll get tickets to go along, family of four, to Beauty and the Beast at the Everyman. But they're also throwing in a family pass for four to go bowling at the Leisureplex on McCurtain Street. You can find out all the details for tickets to this year's panto at everymancork.com. But later on today, we'll ask you a question and giving you the opportunity to text our WhatsApp in to be today's winner with the Everyman. That's all coming up later on. Despite a record budget for next year passed by Cork County Council this week. A number of councillors have claimed that more money is needed to cover certain services. Independent Councillor Danny Collins joins me to share his concerns uh, this morning from West Cork. Good morning to you, Danny. Morning, Patricia. Morning, uh, and you're very welcome. Now, one area that I saw that you highlighted is that many graveyards are simply running out of space. Have the council any plans to acquire additional land and have they put money aside to acquire additional land? Um, yes, I, yes, I was told there is money put aside for the, um, acquire additional land. But look, I'm having the problem down here in my area. We'd say we'd say in places like so Kilcrahan, um, Skull, Glengarf, where it's going on far too long. And like you know, they're kicking the can down the road at times. To be quite honest, that's what I, I what I see. Um, I had a situation back in Skull there um, there earlier in the year, where there was a gentleman um, was looking for a grave, and he was told there was none left in Skull. Right. Um, space has since has been made with um, along the footpath for extra graves, but like this, like as I said, is only kicking the can down the road. Kilcrahan, 
We have um, just less than less than seven or eight graves there at the moment. And like people are worried from these areas, like you know, people who don't have graves, maybe people have moved into the area. Um, where are they going to be buried? And you know, it's a situation that's you know very concerning. And I've been highlighting it for years now because we had it above Glengarth. A little space was found there as well. But like it's land we need, and it's not just you know digging out a little corner and like and putting it next to maybe five, six, seven graves. Like as it, like you know, this can't be done. It's land we have to buy, and if we don't have the land, talk to the but they have to go and try to purchase. Yeah, and this, uh, Danny, is a very, very uh, emotive issue because there are people who want to be buried in a particular graveyard because they want to be buried with their people and they want to stay within a parish. So it's it's not even a case that, you know, in West Cork they can find a large plot of land, you know, somewhere out in the Berry Peninsula, somewhere out in the Bisden Peninsula. They need to start finding space as close to existing graveyards are existing towns and villages. Yes, like, um, we look, I, I, I mentioned three already. I, 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 Goleen is another area where council do own land and, like, they, 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 they won't have to purchase land. And I always talk to people from Goleen and they reckon that land is good enough for a graveyard. And, like, you know, look, this is a very concerning, as you said. Um, everyone wants to be um, buried at, at front where they come from. Yeah. And especially their family want to visit them and like, to be near them and whatnot. And, like, you know, we are in an ageing area, like, you know, down here in West Cork. And, like, you know, it's, it's like, going on for far too long, to be quite honest. And I, I've been pushing and pushing for, like, like the Kilcrahan, Skull, Glengarth, Goleen, that we have to go ahead and put our plots, new plots, our new new graveyard, and get it started. And is is it particularly a West Cork issue, Danny, or does the problem arise in other parts of the county as well? Uh, yes, another councillor, Anne Maria Hearn, she spoke of Middleton and different areas around the Middleton um, electoral areas, and um, I've heard it like you know in different areas all over, be honest, Cork County. But like you know, um, Cork County Council did have have now their, their, their look. It's not the way out of it, but they have um, installed here in Bantry, my, where I'm living myself, a columbarium, a columbarium site. Yeah. Um, but that's only for we, people we, who go down the route of cremation. Uh, that's only for the route for the people who go down cremation. And, like, you know, that's not the way out of it. Like, you know, it's it, like, um, as like I'm stating, like, you know, they're finding little corners. They found a corner down in, in Glengarth. Ah, but that's, that's, that's not the answer. That's not good enough. No, it's not the answer. It's land we need, and we have to purchase the land that out there, like, you know, and, and, and approach people. Like, if, even, if um, people don't have land up for sale, approach them. Would they sell their land and see where we could go from there? Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I'm open to correction, but I imagine a lot of uh, local people, if they realised that their land was needed for something that was going to be hugely beneficial to the community, I think a lot of people would willingly sell that land to the council. I would hope so. And, yeah. like, you know, like, if the need is there, surely, like, they, like they would give it for the, the price that, that is the going rate of the area at the yeah. time. and. And, like, you know, solve solve this problem because, like, people can't be having this in their back of their minds if you don't own a grave in a grave a graveyard. Like, where like where am I going to be buried? Like, I'm, like, it, this, like you know, it's just 
a worrying time for some people. Yeah, and, you, and like, you're thinking I, of I, older I, people, uh, Danny, who, who know that there isn't any space left in the graveyard and, you know, they're in the winter of their years and suddenly they're thinking, where am I going to be buried? I mean, we, we, we shouldn't be allowing that kind of concern to happen. No, no. And, this, and basically, mainly, that's what the people, the people that are coming to me about it from these areas. And look, I'll be keeping on pushing on, on it. But like, you know, all right, we do have new management now set in place. And like I, I am like as I said to our new um, divisional manager here last week, I said I'll give you a few weeks to settle into your spot because there are, are, are issues out there, and this is one of the major issues. There's okay. also issues of, of peers and yeah. And now this is the next one. This is this has also been raised. Uh, peers and and harbors. Okay, are many badly in a need of repair? In your opinion, in my opinion, repair isn't the biggest issue, be quite honest. All right, there's a few out there that need a lot of repair, but what's the real issue here, um, Patricia, is a lot of our piers and harbours, especially during summertime, are are very busy with um, visiting um, sailing boats and different um, boats to the area. Which is um, great. With, which is a good yeah, thing. Which is Oh, very good, very good, excellent, yes. Well, what should be happening here is there should be a pontoon, pontoons installed in certain areas where, where where this is happening. Um, like, I met with well over 20, 25 residents from Bear Island um, there during the, during the summer. And, like, one father said to me, um, he says, I have to come down to the pier in the morning, leave my kids in, in, inside my car, climb across three or four boats to get to get my own boat and bring it over to, to, to the ladder. And, like, like, there's a big health and safety issue here. Like, you have the health and safety of leaving your children in the car. You have the health and safety of climbing across two or three boats and, and coming across into the, to the, to the ladder at the pier. Also, um, I was at a meeting there recently about Glengarth, where people, businesses and um, concerned people from the area, like, fair play, they have a busy pier. Um, like, during the summer, what's happening? Boats sailing boats are coming up and seeing no space at the pier and are sailing away down the, down the harbour onto carrier different places. And like, you know, you travel out throughout the country, you see pontoons up and different areas all over. Like, And it's one area I believe Cork County Council have um, left neglected over the years for our, our piers and our harbours around West Cork. Okay, because because I, I, um, well, I know in the budget, one point eight million has been allocated for pier and harbour upgrades. That doesn't sound like a lot of money. One point eight million is this not enough? To, to, to be quite honest, it's nothing really. It's it, that's what budget was the year before. Like I, that's what I was, was complaining about. That it didn't increase any bit. Like um, like we do get funding. Um, up to last year, we used to get that funding and from the department. And this staff funding was maybe four or five hundred thousand, which was nothing like. And that had to do like all our company. Last year, now I know there was this um, Brexit adjustment to local authority marine infrastructure scheme, which we got over five million. It was a massive help, but I, that's a one-off. We believe so for the 22, 23 um, years, like and like you know, the, like that's what has happened prior to this. We were only getting four, five, maybe six hundred thousand from the Department and Fisheries and Marine funding, and our peers had been left behind. And look, yeah. um, it's, it's it's years, it's years, it's years of neglect. And the one thing that saddens me, you have issues like such as dredging, we, like we have garnished pier down, and um, down the Bear Peninsula, where like where 
the, the, there was a um, boat hires come in there, their boats are getting damaged by rock and whatnot and, and, and the debris. So look, we, we're just, we're like, we're really struggling to get the works done in these because the funding is not there. Okay, and the one thing that saddens me is that our coastline is one of our greatest assets and it's investment. We need to be investing in it, don't we? We do need to be investing in it, because be honest, and like we, we, as I said, we've slipped, I think, I believe, over the years, and now that's where we are now, like, we, it's pontoons, different piers, we need another pontoon down in Skull, we would need one, a couple of them, maybe, in, in Bear Island, I, I, the day I, I went down there, I saw it my, for my own eyes, okay. amongst the boats. Okay, the and, and, and then outdoor staff and, um, is something that regularly comes up on this programme, uh, Danny, with many people feeling we don't have enough outdoor staff uh, within the council. It is to be increased by uh, 20, even though I, I'm sure there was, there's, there's been 20 vacancies uh, last year. But anyway, it's to go up by 20. Are you satisfied there'll be enough outdoor staff for next year? Uh, honestly, I don't think so, I'll be quite honest. Like, as I stated at the meeting as well, if you take in the length of the area I just represent, from outside Skibbereen, from outside, we'd say, Dunmanway, out to Ardroom, out to the Mizzen Peninsula, out to the Sheepshead Peninsula, like, it isn't enough. They, they, they do, they give our staffing out, supposedly, what we were taught a couple of weeks ago, by population number. But, like, as I stated, like, if you come outside Skibbereen, which is around the Affidown area, where to West Ardroom, it's over 60 kilometres, like, mm. of road. That's road where the cross lies. But if you, what, what about the small roads, the, the, the by roads that are around these areas, same down in Mizzenhead, same down in Sheepshead, we don't have enough staff. The man walking on the side of the road with the shovel, I know those days maybe have passed, but they were the days where you didn't see flooding on, the, on roads. And the similar like we have different towns and villages who had two, three, four different council workers working in the, in, in the towns, cleaning towns, doing drains. A lot of these towns now are lacking, are, are lacking these people. They're not there and, and they're not being replaced. Okay, um, and just seeing as we've talked, spoke about outdoor staff, a lot of people bemoan the fact that with the outdoor staff ga- gone, uh, are not having as many of them. It's the reason that we're seeing so many of our roads uh, become damaged because they get flooded and potholes, etc. Tom in Bantry has a question for you saying there's a piece of road, it's called the Old Barrick Road. It's about 100 metres, he reckons, long. It's sinking in several places because of it, people have fallen. It's the road up... This is a road up to Reenrar East. They've seen huge development in recent years. More people are now travelling on that road. Extra houses were built last year, yet the road is falling uh, apart. And John Paul says we've had received calls in the past on that area from people who are saying Cork County Council have done nothing about it. Are you aware of that road? Yes, I know that road. Um, well, my, um, Patricia, yes, that, well, there is other homes being built there. And I would be hoping when, did, when these will be done, that after what you call it, the development charges will go towards um, doing up this road. I, I will, what you call it, I do know that council have been out with the patcher and lorry and whatnot, but like, you know, I suppose we wait now until the developments have been done and the development charges and road money will go there towards it. When the houses are finished? Yes. Is it okay? Um, uh, all right. And just very finally, Danny, do you, do you feel the council need to go back to central government to get allocated more funding for next year because of the size oh, of our oh, county? 
Of course, and like we, we, we as a, what we met when I was mayor um, the past year, um, we met with um, the three, we say, main COP ministers, Minister McGrath, Minister Coveney, and, um, and our Commissioner, um, um, Michal Martin, and we just explained that as well to them, like funding is not allocated to our county, you know, per capita compared to other counties throughout the country. And, and like we are struggling, like there's different issues out there. Roads, all right. We we know that maybe funding is up 20 million this year for funding, but like you know, the price, everything has gone up. The price of materials, everything, like and like you know, something like has to be done. We we can't be left behind. We have been left behind for years, um, Cork County Council. Something but has like, to be done. Okay. Okay. We, we have to keep on fighting and okay, just, to make sure we will be heard. And just one very final question, seeing as we started on the area in West Cork and, and other parts of the county running out of graveyards. Uh, Pat, from always wondering, uh, should the council not consider opening up more crematoriums? Would that not encourage more people to get cremated? Do we have enough crematoriums? Well, like I be quite honest, we have funerals here and down West Cork and they do go to bring a, a skiddy and mm. I don't see what what's what it may be like it, that that like would would that industry really like have, you know would it be profitable down in this area to be quite honest like as I as I as I stated there earlier we have um have a we do now have a columbarium wall here in Bantry. And it's to, they're just watching to see how that that will be used. Yeah, and the option, and the, the option, like yeah, the option to get cremated is there. It's because that's just that's an individual uh, choice. Okay, Danny, listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that, and uh, no, thank you for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is West Cork Independent Councillor Danny Collins, and I see uh, another independent uh, councillor, Declan Hurley, has just uh, sent in a message saying, "I share Danny's concerns, and while Cork County Council passed a balanced budget uh, this week for 2024 with additional spending uh, for." next year. The reality is we need a further £25 million to even just do the essentials of what is actually needed. We continue to be an under-resourced local authority and that comes in from uh, Declan Hurley and as, as we keep saying it's got a lot to do with the size of the county. There is no other county in the country can compare with the size that we have and the amount of road alone that needs to be covered and maintained by Cork County Council. Now while launching their national Christmas appeal this week, Childline, which is the only 24-hour listening service for children and young adults revealed that they've received over 100 contacts made in relation to sexual abuse in the past month to discuss what are horrifying statistics. I'm joined by Fiona Jennings, Fiona's Head of Policy and Public Affairs at uh, Childline. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. I have to say, I had to do a double take when your press release, press release arrived on my desk this week when, when I saw that number of over 100, I mean, truly horrifying figures. And unfortunately, because sexual abuse is such a hidden problem, is a lot of this abuse happening in the child's own home and the perpetrator known to the child? Yes. So first of all, thank you, Patricia, for having us on um, to talk about our annual Christmas appeal, as you said, that just launched this week. Um, Yes. So child sexual abuse, it's not something that has been confined to the history books, unfortunately. It still is very much an issue of the present day. And, you know, we use terms like, you know, our sexual abuse, but that's not the language that children would use. So often when they contact us, they don't necessarily... I suppose, describe it in that way. They don't really know sometimes what's happening to them, but they do know that it's it's not right. And it, and um, 
they're worried or they're concerned about it. And as you said, often this can be in the home. So a place where a child or young pe person should feel safe, should feel secure, and especially feel safe and secure at Christmas time. But this isn't always the case, unfortunately. Like one one little girl talking about a monster who comes into her bedroom at night. Yeah, so this little girl name was Orla and she spoke to one of our volunteers, Kira, and she rang and she was telling us how scared she was of this person. As, as you said there, she described them as a monster who came into her bedroom each night. Um, and this monster then should have been one of the, the people in her life that she would feel safe with, that she could trust, would feel secure with. Um, but it was actually a member of her family that was abusing Orla. And that wouldn't be, um, you know, that, that's something that would be common enough in terms of people who abuse children and young people. Those perpetrators, they are often known to the child or young person or a member of their family. Yeah, you see, we have a tendency to talk to children about, you know, stranger danger and not interacting mm. with strangers. And uh, people think this kind of abuse is, you know, happens down a dark alleyway or a child gets grabbed. But this is happening in the child's own um, bedroom. And when your volunteers, Fiona, get a call like that, what, what do you do and how are you able to help that child? Yeah, so I suppose the first thing to remember is that, you know, Childline is a listening service, but also as well, it's confidential and it's non-judgmental. So when a child like Orla would ring, um, they would very much be listened to. They would be listened to at their own pace. We don't have an investigative role, so we would very much take the child's lead um, in terms of what they wanted to talk about. We'd never judge them. So we'd never make suggestions or anything like that. And we would try and support the child, um, as I said, by listening to them, first of all, but also as well, making them aware of their rights and making them aware of the supports that are available to them. But we would, of course, always highlight our concerns to them as well and make them aware that there are people out there whose job it is to help them, like the, like, um, the Gardaí or maybe the Child and Family Agency Tusla as well. And we would talk through the child then with who those people are, what their jobs are and how they're there to support them. But we would always leave it up to the child, you know, for them to make the decision if that's something that they wanted us to do. Um, but we would support them in every way possible as well. And sometimes it's not that first phone call or it's not that first engagement that they have with us where they decide they want to do something. Often it can take a long time for them to figure it out and to build up the trust and to build up the confidence um, to take it to the next step and to ask us to report that on. Wow. And th there was another uh, young caller, I think her name was uh, Jess. And, uh, and just explain through the help of Childline what she managed to do. Yeah, so for Jess then, Jess was living at home with, um, uh, she had siblings at home as well. And I suppose, again, she's she very much, I suppose, went through just that, that process there that I went that I explained around that she had been calling for um, quite some time. And she had been talking to her volunteers about what was happening to her. Um, and I suppose ultimately as well, kind of figuring it out, figuring it out that, you know, that it wasn't right, that she had a right to help and support. There was no shame or stigma attached to what was happening to her. Um, but also as well, helping to fit her to figure out who was that right person to tell. 
Um, so she did. She built up that courage then um, to tell somebody. And I suppose her kind of motivating factor as well was that her she had siblings in the house and that she wanted to protect them as well, to not have to go through the experience that she went through. So Childline, again, can help children figure those things out as well. Um, sometimes if abuse is happening in the home, you know, there might be, they may need to identify somebody outside of the home that they can talk to about it, whether that be another family member or maybe a teacher or a coach or somebody else in the child's life. And so it's very much proving it, as you said at one stage, this isn't from the dark history of our past. It's very much proving that, unfortunately, sexual abuse is an ongoing problem with children in this country. Yes, and I suppose as well, you know, it's very difficult, I think, to get a handle on the actual prevalence of child sexual abuse in our country. Um, We were long waiting for um, a survey to come out and that finally came out this year, Um, an up to date survey, I should say, um, from the Central Statistics Office who were charged with um, uh, the sexual violence survey. And I suppose out of that, um, 41 of the respondents that were aged 18 to 24. So these were children not so long ago, if you can put if you can imagine that. Um, and so 41% of them said that they had experienced sexual abuse as a child. And of those then, um, eight out of 10 of them actually knew their perpetrator. So again, somebody either within the home or a close um, a close acquaintance of them. Shock. So as you said, Patricia, often we talk about stranger danger. Um, and that can be the way that we kind of teach children about safety sometimes as well. But we really do need to kind of relook as to how we do address this actual issue. Talk about stolen childhoods. It's just it's it's true. It's just it's yeah, it's jaw dropping. The figures are just truly, truly staggering. And teenagers, uh, Fiona, contacting you about rape. That is that on the increase? So we use words like, you know, like we mentioned about the word rape. We mentioned about incest. And again, these aren't words that children and young people would necessarily use. But this is how we would profile them when they're talking to us about the incident that's happening to them or the experience that they've had. So, again, you know, teenagers as well, they don't necessarily have the language or the vocabulary they need to describe what's happening to them. Um, But that would be at the, the other end of the scale. And that, of course, is hugely concerning to us as well, that children and young people are having these experiences. The positive, I guess, is that you know, they're coming to Chiline, they're speaking about it. We're supporting them as best we can to, I suppose, try and seek the support that they need as well and reduce the harm that is caused by it. And, you know, while sexual abuse or, or rape is, is certainly at the most worrying end, end of the scale, what, what else, Fiona, are children ringing Chiline about? Is, is bullying, for example, still a topic? Yes, bullying, cyberbullying in particular would still come up there as one of the number one reasons that children, not just in Ireland, but indeed children across Europe would call helplines about. Um, So it still is quite a prevalent issue. Um, We're we're partners in the Irish Safer Internet Centre and um, the WebWise Youth Panel members in picking the theme for Safer Internet Day early this year you know, that was the one thing that they wanted to discuss again, because for them, it still is very much a real live issue. It's not something that has gone away. In terms of other issues, then mental health is up there and anxiety. That is always in features in one of the top two 
profiles of issues that children and young people talk to us about. Um, so I, I suppose what's kind of coming through the theme, if you want, is that, you know, definitely anxiety levels of children and young people have gone up. That resilience or that ability to cope with everyday things um, is not necessarily there. So, again, I suppose the model of support that we have would be around resilience building as well um, and trying to support children and young people to see, you know, what skills or what um, coping strategies they have within themselves as well um, to support them getting through whatever might be going on for them. Okay, and we know, Chai Lang, you operate 365 days of the year, which includes uh, Christmas Day. Will you expect to get many calls on Christmas Day? Yeah, I mean, Christmas Day is always busy. Um, And again, you know, we couldn't do this without the amazing team of um, uh, staff and volunteers that we have in the ISPCC. And they'll be there, as you said, um, 24-7. Um, throughout the entire Christmas period and into New Year's as well. And we're always so grateful of um, the support that people give us at this time of the year as well. Um, So, yes, Christmas will be busy again. It it always is. And, you know, often the themes that can be running through it is around alcohol misuse in the home. And, you know, there might be overconsumption and, you know, children, young people are worried or scared. Or again, you know, like this issue that we're highlighting this Christmas, you know, Child sexual abuse doesn't happen, you know, just because it's Christmas Day. Oh, no. um, so those issues will continue. But we rely so heavily on the generosity of the public for their the support they give us, you know, by giving up their time and their volunteering. But also as well, those who support us, you know, financially throughout the year and again at Christmas time when we have our Christmas appeal as well. So tell because us about the, tell us about the appeal mm. and how people can help. Yeah, so the appeal then, so if people log on to ispcc.ie, they'll see the Christmas appeal page and they'll be able to just click into that and to donate. Um, We rely on 75% of our money to run um, the service um, as fundraising income. So we need to fundraise 75% every year in order to keep the service at a 24 hour a day um, service. Um, so if people can log on there and again, you know, there's so much happening locally and there's so much happening in the world right now as well. And, you know, Irish people are, are always incredibly generous. And we just want to say, you know, every donation, no matter how small, really does um, make a difference with us. So if they can to, to log on to ISPCC and to donate to the Christmas appeal, we'd be greatly appreciated. Okay, you do amazing work, uh, Fiona. Um, sadly, long may you continue because there's always going to be a need for uh, Childline. Listen, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us uh, today. We hope you all have a happy and a peaceful Christmas. But uh, thanks for, for talking to us uh, about your appeal. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. And by the way, the child line number is, of course, one eight hundred double six double six double six one eight hundred double six double six double six, and that operates at uh, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week for three hundred and sixty five days of the year. They really are an amazing uh, service. I spoke in the last hour about what are the staggering rise in the cost of new rents, uh, the for people who are getting a new tenancy, but also even people with existing 
tendencies have also seen uh, rises and bearing in mind that much of the country is under a rental pressure zone, which means that rents shouldn't rise by more than 2%. It really is staggering to see some of the figures and how high rent uh, is at the moment. And of course, we know that is causing a knock-on effect for people who are trying to find uh, rental accommodation within the private market. And we have a housing crisis in this country with people struggling to either find a place to rent or we have other couples who are struggling to get put money together in order to put a deposit together in order to buy a house. So we know we have a housing crisis and added in the mix of all of that, we also have a number of people coming to this country uh, looking for shelter and refuge and seeking uh, asylum. And the government now are saying that they have exhausted all of the options in trying to secure accommodation for uh, asylum seekers. Officials at the Department of Integration are now scrambling to find how to best support international protection applicants because the worry now is that they face sleeping rough and that is simply due to a lack of beds. It's understood that officials at the department have examined the use of community halls around the country, community centres. They've even looked at ships in all of their efforts to try and find uh, shelter but they're coming up against a brick wall and saying they're not able to find uh, suitable uh, accommodation. The Finance Minister Michael McGrath uh, was talking about this yesterday and he said that the Integration Minister Roderick O'Gorman had made it very, very clear to the Cabinet that we are now in a very serious situation and could potentially, within days, we're not even talking about weeks or months, we're talking about days, simply run out of all of the accommodation options. Government sources are now very concerned that the asylum, some asylum seekers may be forced to sleep on the streets and obviously if they're forced to sleep on uh, the streets there is the danger that they could be targeted because anti-immigration rhetoric unfortunately is uh, rising and rising all the time. A government spokesperson said there will be an increased guard of visibility in the capital and that will aim to protect everyone including those who might find themselves uh, sleeping rough. Now women and children who arrive into this country they obviously will be prioritised but it's single men who may be the ones left with absolutely no offer of shelter and as I say, the government are saying, the departments are saying that this is going to happen in the coming days. Minister McGrath says we're in a challenging situation when it comes to accommodation for those seeking international protection but he says we're also in a challenging situation when it comes to those who are arriving from the Ukraine. He says we are stretching every resource at our disposal. We have had outstanding goodwill from Irish people. Many of them have opened up their homes particularly to provide accommodation for Ukrainians but he said it's a very very difficult situation but he says that they will do all they can to make sure that accommodation is made available. Now when he was asked if some asylum seekers could end up sleeping on the streets and be homeless in the coming days, Minister McGrath says we don't want to see that happen and we'll do everything we possibly can to make sure that there is accommodation, he said, for everyone. And he said that includes international protection applicants and includes somebody coming in from uh, Ukraine. And he says it also includes somebody who's been living in Ireland and it includes Irish people who may find themselves 
experiencing homelessness. So he says in the coming weeks, there will be an enormous coordinated effort by government and all of the public agencies to make sure that there is accommodation and uh, shelter. He said the Department of Integration is examining what other options may be available and seems it's the Department of Integration now are looking at uh, community centres, halls and even ships to see if they can get accommodation uh, that way. So uh, uh, Minister Michael McGrath uh, says in due course those uh, what the Department of Integration are examining at the moment they'll be uh, they'll be shared uh, with the rest of the cabinet so he doesn't have the details at the moment he doesn't know what the options are uh, but he says that the Minister for Integration did indicate to us that they're examining what other options might be uh, available now the Department of Integration has struggled to procure accommodation for international protection applicants in particular in recent weeks with senior sources highlighting recent protests that have had a significant impact on their ability to secure both the continuation of services and also uh, to find new accommodation. And I know and I saw yesterday that 105 asylum seekers that were due to be moved into a hotel in Leitrim that now has been put on hold because since that got mentioned, it's in quite a rural area of uh, Leitrim, there has been protest outside. I think it was an old hotel and the work has been done to get it ready for the 155 asylum seekers. But people locally felt, you know, this, it wasn't suitable. Uh, putting 155 people into the hotel wasn't suitable and they were told that the services weren't available. So there was ongoing protests outside that particular hotel. And now I heard yesterday that that has been put on hold and that that's been replicated in other parts of the country as well. So while the department will identify a building that they feel is uh, suitable and they move in and they have a tendency to get the work underway and then when the work gets underway, local people start hearing what's happening and then protests start. And I think a lot of that and some of that goes back into misinformation then that is spread about a particular area. But we, we the government just do not seem to be learning because time and time again, uh, going right back to when I think the Ukrainian refugees fleeing war started uh, to arrive, there was initially an outpouring. Um, Communities were very welcoming of Ukrainian refugees, but then as more and more started to come and then as more and more international protection applicants uh, started to come, areas started to say we can't cope with the numbers that are arriving. And we were promised months, even last year, we were promised that there would be ongoing negotiations with local people, tell local people what are the plans. But unfortunately, what seems to be happening and from what I can see, certainly monitoring it online is an area will get wind that there's building work going on like this in Leitrim in an old hotel or maybe a former nursing home. They, they, of course, the, the telltale sign is when they see bunk beds being moved in and then everyone starts to say, oh, it must be uh, asylum seekers. And then you've got you know, people who spread all the misinformation about, you know, they're all undocumented males. And God knows, I, th- I, I, I thought about the undocumented males and it is scary to think that you move into an area and you don't know anyone who is, is moving in. But when you talk about the undocumented males and people are saying women and children are at risk and then you think of when I spoke with the ISPCC who were talking about um, 89% of their calls that are coming in to do with child sexual abuse. The monster is in the house. It's somebody living with them. So people don't, it isn't stranger danger that we have to worry about. But anyway, misinformation then starts to spread when people in an area are not given the correct information. So I can't believe that yet again, you know, 
the powers that be decide we'll do up this particular hotel, whatever it is, like this one in Leitrim, and we'll move in the asylum seekers and then we'll talk to the local people afterwards. They need to have the engagement way before they even move into a premises to say, look, we think this is uh, suitable because it's just, it's causing endless stress and worry. And also, what a waste of time and money if they end up doing up a lot of these buildings, getting them ready, moving in all of the furniture, the bunk beds, whatever it is, getting everything in place and then it has to be put on hold and we're seeing that around the country. What the solution is, I don't know. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. If you text or WhatsApp us to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Cooks and chefs are wanted for full and part-time positions. That's at the Cafe Townhouse in Donnerail. You can email for the attention of Maura to townhousedonnerail at gmail.com. The Donkey Sanctuary in Liscarroll, they've got a vacancy for a new arrivals groom. Full job description and application details are available on their website and the website is thedonkeysanctuary.org.uk. Excavation drivers, banksmen and general operatives are wanted for trenching works throughout the West Cork area. Now experience is essential. Call Joe on 87 6488679 and a shop manager is wanted for a tool hire company in the Domanway area. Some experience with dis- construction equipment would be an advantage. Telephone Vincent on 0878328570. You'll find all of the details and many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And uh, literally that statement, no room at the inn with the government now saying that they have exhausted all options in trying to source accommodation for asylum uh, seekers and it is looking like by the, within days, they are going to run out, which is going to mean that if international protection applicants arrive in this country, uh, that many of them could end up facing sleeping rough on uh, the streets. And the fear is that with the anti-immigrant rhetoric that's out there at the moment that some of them could be at risk of being very very seriously uh, injured. Tim says it's blatantly obvious what the solution to this problem is. We don't have places places to house these refugees. Surely the simple solution is to stop them arriving here. Problem solved says uh, Tim. And Bill in Clannacilty I think is of a, a similar mindset to Tim. He says enough is enough. Michal Martin made a statement at the start of the Ukrainian uh, invasion by uh, Russia that 10,000 Ukrainians would arrive uh, here. They initially did arrive and he reckoned that figure would double, which of course uh, it did. But he said they'd all be going home when the war was over. Now he says we're at 110,000 and I can see why people are getting annoyed because their own sons and daughters cannot find a house. We need to get back to basics if you hold a uh, if you hold a concern health and safety you will tell you I don't know what that if I'm sorry I don't know what that means health and safety will say you can't allow allow 5,000 people we need to look at this now health and safety is not being looked at in this country and I'm assuming you're talking about health and safety on some of the properties is it where 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 
refugees move into and, and, and I have seen health and safety being cited as a reason for local people to object uh, when when a particular maybe asylum centre is about to uh, open. But how do we stop international protection people arriving into the country? Because the government will say from one day to the next they don't know how many people are going to get off planes. They don't know how many people are going to get off of uh, boats. But I know the, the, lad, the figures that are out more than 13,600 applications for international protection was made last year and that was a 415% increase on uh, uh, 2021 and we just simply do not have the accommodation and we are now looking like many of them ending up having to uh, sleep rough. 0818103103 as I say they are scrambling they're going to look at all types of uh, solutions including this looking at uh, community halls and community centres but I straight away see the problem there if they take over a community centre in an area and a community centre for many, many communities is the hub of the community it's where people meet, it is by its nature it's in, it's in the title a community centre, it's where the bingo is held it's where social dancing uh, might go on. You're not going to get buy-in from local people if they're thinking that their community hall is going to be taken over bunk beds uh, moved in and why these people need uh, shelter and you know some of them will say they're fleeing for their lives and are coming here for whatever uh, reason you're not going to get the buy-in from the local people if their community centre is taken away from them so they've got uh, the Department of Integration who now are scrambling and looking at all available uh, ways of trying to find accommodation they've got to be very very careful in what they decide to, to take over and then use as an iPass centre uh, 0818 103 103 and then on something completely different Pat is wondering Pat says do you realise Patricia we can't even buy a bale of briquettes now because of Green Party policies we have to do something before the country goes down the tube, says uh, Pat. Now, I know we're not producing briquettes here anymore. They stopped making them. But I, I thought they were importing them. Did I remember hearing, I remember people talking about where they importing them from Poland. Uh, so I put it out there. I, is it just where, and I don't know where Pat is texting from. I don't know what part of the city or the county Pat is texting from. But he says you can't buy briquettes anymore. Are they completely gone? Or does anybody know where briquettes are on sale? I know nothing of them because unfortunately we don't have an open fire in our house. The only thing I will say when I grew up, my, my late mother was a, a great fan of the briquettes and they threw off the most amazing heat. They, they really were great but of course we know and it, it is Green Party policies and it's all to do with saving the environment. We stopped producing turf in this country and ultimately then we stopped uh, making briquettes. So are, can briquettes still be purchased is the question that I'm asking this morning because Pat reckons you can't get them anymore. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and seeing as I'm talking about trying to save the planet and climate change and what the Green Party are, to, are trying to do a reminder to you that our Hours to Protect series that continues tomorrow here on the programme. It's about uh, 11.45 we run it and tomorrow we're going to be hearing about a new initiative from Enterprise Ireland and this is to help companies on their sustainable 
journey that's ours to protect uh, tomorrow morning on the programme at 11.45. Now a listener this is on refugees and asylum seekers and the fact that the government are actually openly admitting that within a few days they're going to run out of space for any new uh, refugees that arrive from Ukraine or people who arrive looking for international uh, protection asylum seekers. Somebody says hi Trish if the refugees go home for Christmas then they shouldn't be allowed to come back and no more should be left in. We're swamped as it is and no undocumented men please. Uh, No undocumented person should be allowed off a uh, plane. And the refugees well the international protection applicants certainly won't be going home for Christmas. It's the Ukrainians are allowed uh, to now not all of them are going to go but some of them they have been given permission if they want to go home. I think they they can go for seven days uh, and they but uh, but they must be back after seven days or they lose that state provided um, accommodation. Uh, Somebody says that if they go, they go and that is it. 0818103103 and just on briquettes, by the way, for our listener who contacted us, Pat, who says, fly in disgrace that you can't buy a bale of briquettes and he's blaming the Green Party and all of that. Can I just tell you, you can get briquettes. Uh, Baz in Bantry was on to say he actually saw briquettes on sale in Dunmanway last uh, Sunday. 11.50 per bale. That's how much he saw them. And then a coal merchant was in touch to say you can buy briquettes in many locations. And I was right when I said that the briquettes are no longer made in this country. They were once made in this country, but uh, we banned the making. Um, turf and all of that is gone. So we banned the making of briquettes uh, in this country and they're now imported from Latvia. So they are still av- still available. And that, to me, the mind uh, boggles. Uh, we didn't want to. We wanted to stop producing our own briquettes because obviously they're bad for the climate, bad for the environment and all of that. So we stopped producing them in this country. And what do we do instead? We import them. <laughs> Just think all that the all the the carbon that must be burnt in get it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. ...them from Latvia. I mean, I'm assuming that they don't fly in on planes. I'm assuming that they come by uh, land and and all the carbon that's involved in that. It just, it it never uh, really makes any sense to me why we decide to do something. It goes back to what we often uh, quote when they got rid of the sugar plant and the last sugar plant of course was in Mallow when that uh, closed and suddenly now we have to import sugar because of course we were going to need sugar and then the EU afterwards said oh we didn't realise that that was the last uh, sugar plant it just some of those decisions you kind of scratch your head and you, you think who is actually making any of these decisions 0818 103 uh, Maureen joins me uh, this, uh, on the phone line good morning to you Maureen Good morning, Patricia. I'm Maureen. This is to do with the government running out of uh, accommodation for asylum seekers. Yes, um, I think it's just simply bad management. There's a fleet of empty houses throughout Ireland. I think this has proved that. There's an empty hotel below in Castle Tombear, which was renovated the past 10 years, all closed up. That would house quite a number of families. 
There's a whole host of apartments over Dunn stores in Macroom that have been sitting idle since the day they were built. And they would host a whole lot of families. And there are only two examples that come to mind. If you drive through any town in Ireland, there's a whole uh, load of houses that might need a little bit of renovation, but that are idle. And I don't think it's a situation where we can't house people. These people, a lot of these people are coming from refugee camps. They've been through horrendous situations. And I think we should open up our hearts and our houses and our homes to them. Uh, it isn't that long ago, 150 years ago, since we were in a similar, a similar situation, fleeing to Canada and the United States. And, for instance, New Brunswick opened its doors to us and took in thousands of famine refugees, but clothed us and kept us there while we had absolutely nothing. And I think now it's our turn to do a little bit of that. Yeah, and you know, while I know you'll hear from some people say they are struggling, but when we are a wealthy country, there is a lot of money in this country. We're at full employment. And actually, the fact that we're at full employment is one of the reasons that so many migrants uh, are coming here. It's for the labour market that they're coming for. Absolutely. A lot of them don't want to um, claim social welfare. They want to to work here and, you know, be part of our society and try and have a better life for themselves. Yeah. I'm actually in, I'm actually involved in a group um, in Inishannon and we're trying to bring a family. We can't get accommodation in Inishannon, but I think we've secured accommodation now in Bandon. Uh, a family from a refugee centre and we're fundraising to bring this family into the area and we will be responsible for them for until they get set up with social welfare or work. And, and, what, uh, and do you know what country they've come from? They will be from either Afghanistan or Syria. And and so you don't know who the family is then yet, do you? Have any details? No, we no. don't. Uh, no. We, we, we've only just secured our accommodation and the family is matched to the size of the accommodation. So it's a two-bed apartment. So uh, I think we're going to get um, a family with one child, yeah. um, you know, parents and one child. Um, as yet, it hasn't been totally finalised. They'll be coming towards the end of January, probably. Well done, um, well done. And, and, and that's what we need to do. We need communities to open up their hearts yes, and their and, and their minds. Yeah. You see, I think what happens when you see all of these protests, I was talking about the hotel in Leitrim that's all ready to go and now it's been put on hold. Misinformation starts to spread if you don't bring the community along with you and say, look, this is what we're planning to do. Come help us. Yes, communication is really, really important because it's not just, um, like, it's not just finding a house for a person. You have to find schools, you have to find a doctor, dentist. There's a whole fleet of things you have to have in place when you're bringing anybody into a community. So if you're bringing uh, quite a number of people, you really have to have a lot of that in place. Yeah, because I heard the Irish Refugee Council uh, this morning, you know, they're commenting on the fact that the government are saying within a few days we're going to have to have refugees sleeping on the streets. They're saying it's completely unacceptable uh, with the wealth and the resources of this country that, you know, we can't accommodate uh, what is an increase in the number of people seeking uh, protection over the last um, 18 months. And they're saying the numbers that are coming in, they are actually a very manageable number. I know when you look at the figures and you see tens of thousands, it seems like a huge, huge number. But they're saying with the wealth and the resources that we have in this country, you know, we should be we, we should be able to do it. And when you look, when you compare us to other countries, the, the latest figures that have come out, when you look at all of those, that this is leave the um, Ukrainian refugees who are fleeing war out. But if you look at the international protection numbers, we account for 1.3 percent of the EU total. So it's a very small proportion of people are coming here seeking asylum. It may yeah, seem like a big number, but it's a very small number. 
talking over. A lot of people in Ireland seem to think we're the only country in, in Europe that's bringing in people, but every country is bringing in uh, people depending on, on the size of the country. So, you know, it's right across Europe. And I do believe it's our, our responsibility to, to look out for people who don't have um, anything, whose lives have been destroyed by war. Yeah, um, somebody from in Formoy, because I know there, there's plans in uh, Formoy for a, I think it's an asylum uh, centre, and somebody's saying we were told absolutely nothing what was going to happen. And you see, that's what happens. And then misinformation um, uh, goes around, and then that puts fear uh, in, into people uh, as well. Okay, listen, um, uh, good luck with what you're planning on doing in Inishan and Maureen, and keep us posted on it. I will, of course. Thanks, and if anybody would like to donate anything to us, we have a GoFundMe page. It's called In a Shannon Community Sponsorship Group. Okay. <laughs> I might as well put a plug in while I'm on. Absolutely. Thank you very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thanks a million, Maureen. God bless and look after yourself. That is Maureen joining us from uh, In a Shannon. 0818 103 103. Now, let me move to something completely different because Birdwatch Ireland are once again calling on people across Cork to get involved in Ireland's most popular and largest running citizen science survey. To talk about this year's Irish Garden Bird Survey, I'm joined by Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland. Good morning to you, Niall. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome. Now, I believe this is the 35th year of this survey. Is this a kind of a survey that's very much grown over the years? Very much so. It's becoming more and more popular and uh, so there's been always thousands of people doing it, but during COVID particularly, it experienced a real boost. A lot of people were obviously at home, they were watching the birds in their garden. They were enthralled by what they were doing. I think they were a real like, sign of hope and a real lifeline for a lot of people. And thanks to that momentum has continued and people are, are, are very, very willing to submit their records to us so we can keep track of these garden bird populations. And as you said, 35 years worth of data um, there, that's, that's, that's remarkable. To have that's that, incredible. That, that it's a, yeah. It really is incredible. So what do you ask people to do? So it, 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 um, it, it sounds a little complicated, but it's actually very straightforward when, 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 when you start doing it. The survey runs for 13 weeks. So it started on Monday of this week, so still plenty of time to take part, and it runs up until towards the end of February, so 13 weeks. And over that time, what we ask us to do is to use the survey form or the online portal on our website, bird.journal.ie, um, to um, keep note of the different species of bird that come into their garden each week. Uh, but not just that, the, uh, the, also to give the highest number of each bird that they see at any one time, of each species they see. And then each week you start anew and you go on that way. So um, to give a quick example of how that would work, let's say, um, let's say you, have a, uh, you have a blue tit in your garden. So on, on the first day of the week you look out the window, you see there's, there's one blue tit at your bird feeder. And the next morning you look out, there's still just one, but in the afternoon you see two of them. Then on the on the, the Wednesday morning, let's say you look out, there are three on your feeder, uh, and then you don't see any more for the rest of the week. Well, the highest number that you saw at any one time that week were the three that you had on the Wednesday morning. So you put three in that box on the form, uh, and then you do that for all the other species that you can identify in your garden, and then you do that every week, starting starting afresh. Uh, so it's not cumulative; you're not adding up, you know, the number of times yeah, you look out the window, yeah. the bird, it's any one time. It's it's the highest number that that you see. So what what are the typical birds we would expect to see in our garden? at this time of year? Well, 
it varies a bit uh, regionally around the country, um, but um, one, one sort of perennial favourite to see is across all 32 counties of Ireland that's very prevalent in gardens, of course, would be the robin. That almost always tops the table, uh, present in, in well over 99% of the gardens that take part in the survey. Um, and it's always uh, closely followed by uh, two other birds, the, the blackbird and the blue tit. They're always sort of jockeying with each other for second and, or, or, and third place uh, in the survey. Um, now, having said that, though, you, although the robin is present in the, most, in the highest number of gardens, that doesn't mean it's the most numerous bird, because robins tend to be very antisocial. You don't see flocks of robins. You just have one in your garden, yeah. um, but most gardens have one. But then another bird, I'd say the chaffinch, um, not all gardens have them in the survey, but those that do may have a flock of a dozen or 20 or something coming into their garden. Um, and so cumulatively, those numbers actually um, mean that their population is higher in gardens. And so we're seeing that. We are seeing some interesting changes over the course of um, the last 35 years, and especially the last 10 years. And this is something, um, th- th- this is something that we're starting to see, um, particularly now in, in Munster for the first time in the surveys. We're seeing, um, uh, we're seeing the great spotted woodpecker starting to, to arrive in Irish gardens. Um, uh, where I live on, on the North Wicklow coast, we've been quite used to woodpeckers in our gardens um, for the last the last few years. But slowly, they colonised. You see across the Irish Sea from Wales, and, the, and Wicklow was their first landfall. But since then, they've been spreading across the country, and slowly but surely, they're they're getting a, a toehold in more and more counties. And this is being reflected in the survey data. We're seeing these these birds increasing. We're seeing some um, some drops as well. So um, one thing that's been very badly hit is a bird called the greenfinch, a sparrow-like bird. Bright green um, was when we started the survey was a very common bird in gardens. But over the last ten years, it's gone down by forty-seven percent in Irish gardens wow. in the survey, and that's because they had a disease pandemic of their own. A very nasty disease called trichomoniasis has been affecting them, and this is borne out by the survey data. And we're able to see where the, the, the worst black spots for this disease are, where they're making a bit of recovery, how this is affecting all the other species. So um, yeah, it's really fascinating stuff. Yeah, and you mentioned the robin. I mean, I, I have a robin that comes into my garden every single morning without fail. Are robins territorial? I've got it in my head. It's the same robin that appears every day. And it will be the same robin that Is appears. Is it? Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're, they're incredibly territorial. And uh, they keep that territorial behaviour throughout the whole year. So um, most of our garden bird species are territorial to some degree, at least during the breeding season, when they want to have their patch, uh, where they, you know, the, the, the pair will be there and they, they're raising their chicks and looking for food, and they, they don't really tolerate uh, other members of, of, of their species coming in. So again, the blue tit, the grey tit, they'd be very good examples of that. But they're very, very feisty and aggressive in the summer months. And um, one bird that books the trend, that the house sparrow, they, 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 they tend to nest in colonies and they, they're not uh, territorial at all. But that's, that's so the exception that proves the rule in a way. But then after the nesting season, when you get into the autumn, and when the chicks are reared and they're gone, then that territorialism, it, it breaks down, it disappears from any of those species. They'll happily form flocks together, they'll, they'll interact, um, but not the robin. The robin maintains the territory throughout the whole year, and which is one of the reasons why it's one of our only garden birds that sings in all 12 months of the year. So if you hear a, a, a robin singing today, a bird singing today in your garden, it's most it's, likely yeah. a robin. And if you spot a bird that you don't quite know and can't, can't quite identify, we all have cameras now, thankfully, on our phones. Take a picture and then try and go online and try and find out what it is. Oh, absolutely. Or send, or send, send a picture to us. Oh, we, great. We, get, we get pictures all the time. You, you can send them to us in, in Birdwatch Ireland. The details are on our website, birdwatcharland.ie. And you can get in touch with us there. We're very happy to answer any queries you would have. And I think what, what um, people always tell us, because they always ask for feedback on the survey, and people always tell us that um, it was a great way for them to learn more about their garden birds. Because when you have a, a, a task to focus on uh, and to achieve, it kind of focuses the mind in a particular way. And you'd be amazed how quickly you learn all these different birds. We have a whole um, online section on our website. We can identify all of Ireland's garden birds there as well 
in all their plumages. And just to warn people as well, it does become extremely addictive. <laughs> um, a lot of people get hooked and you'll find yourself spending more and more time looking out that kitchen window to That's see what the birds are doing. It's not a bad way to while an hour, is it? It, it really isn't. Why, why is it important to do it over the winter months, Nile? Well, the, the thing is, what we do is we, during the winter months, that is when the birds are most likely to be using the gardens in numbers and when we can actually see what's happening in terms of the population. Birds will obviously nest in gardens too, some species, but uh, to, in lower numbers, and it's much harder to, to observe what they're doing. And so the key with this is that um, over the last 35 years, it's the same 13-week period. So we have we can compare like with like from across the years and across the decades. So, um, so it's about choosing that period of time and then consistently sticking to that. And that time in the winter is when most people are feeding the birds in the garden. It coincides with the period of coldest weather in Ireland when you're most likely to have the largest numbers of birds in your garden. All right, and Cork people, we've always been good to take part in this survey. Oh, very much so, very much so. Cork is one of the, one of the leaders. And a lot, of, a lot of keen bird lovers in Cork is one of the best counties in all of Ireland for birds as well. And it's one of the places where you're, you're, you're most likely to get some of the surprises that can turn up because we do get some rare birds turning up in gardens every so often. But that's often from Cork. You know, we get reports of, of unusual you know, doves and things like that turning up. And, and that, 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 that's always nice when that happens. But actually, the information about the common birds is even more important mm-hmm. um, because it's from those common birds, even though you know, the, the, the people sometimes can take them for granted. You know, the fact of it is that they might be common today, but that doesn't mean they'll be common in 10 years' time. I know. Um, and yeah. it's keeping track of those. And, and they're the, because so many people are doing this, monitoring the robins and the blue tits and so on, we start, we'll start. We'll spot the trends there. If we see a disappearance, as exactly, we happened, as exactly what happened with, uh, with the green finches, we were able to see there's something going wrong here because the, 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 the numbers on the graph are falling. Um, and then we can pinpoint this disease. It's how we, it's sort of an early warning system for us, helps to inform our conservation priorities as, as a conservation charity. But also as well, it... Um, it's, it's, a, it's a, I suppose, a really important way for us to monitor things like climate change and the impact that's having on birds. Are birds coming to gardens at different times of year than they used to? Are they relying on different types of food? Because we have a few questions in the survey as well about what food you provide and what size your garden is, things like that. And when you get thousands of households doing that, the data is just amazing. Mm, yeah, it's it's fantastic to have that uh, that that type of information. You mentioned doves. I have a pair of doves that uh, come into the garden. I, think, I haven't seen them now in a while. Maybe sitting in summertime. You know the ones that got the little collar around the. Oh yeah, the collar dove. That's the right. The collar yeah. dove. Yeah, are they gone for the winter? No, they stay, no. They stay with us. Uh, and the collared dove is, is a very strange bird because um, up until uh, they're a relatively recent arrival in Ireland, so the, the, first, um, the first breeding record was actually in 1959 in Dublin. And within 10 years of that, they were present breeding in all 32 counties of Ireland. It's originally a bird of sort of the Middle East and the Balkan Peninsula. And after the Second World War, it was able to expand its range across Europe, perhaps because of climate change, perhaps because of changes in urban life in Europe after the war, but very rapidly expanded across Europe under its own steam. And now is very common here in Ireland. And they don't migrate, they stay with us. And it's also pretty much the only Irish bird that has no set breeding season. They'll nest in any month of the year if the weather is warm enough and if there's enough food around. So it's actually... It's really the only Irish bird that you would have actually nesting in in, in November or December, um, wow. provided that the weather's good enough. And there's always two. Are they are they a pair? Are they? Yes, they are. Yes, they, 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 they tend to be inseparable. Yeah, they, they? They hang yeah, together. yeah, they do. I always see the two, and they're gorgeous. They're just beautiful, beautiful birds. Okay, sorry, I digress. You're just a mine of information. Uh, somebody wants to know: we've got a cold spell at the moment, with temperatures dropping. Is it all the more important to leave food and water out for the birds? Oh, 
Absolutely, and I'm sure that uh, I'm sure a lot of the listeners will have noticed um, in recent days the birds coming into their gardens more and more. So putting out food for the birds and water especially as well, that's really important. Um, there's lots of different um, foods you can put out. The peanuts work very well so long as you put them in those wire mesh feeders so the birds can't take a whole peanut and, and risk choking on it. Different types of seed work very well. Sunflower seed and niger seed, which um, um, little finches like green, uh, like, like uh, goldfinches and siskins, two charming little birds. They absolutely love them in gardens. Uh, fat works very well too. So um, suet, like fat balls, you get them commercially, you get suet cakes, one of our best sellers from our own bird training shop. Um, they're high energy, high calories for those birds because they need a very high fat, high, high energy, high calorie diet to help them get through the cold winter nights because that's when it's hardest for most of them. Fruit works well too, um, apples especially because there are some migrant um, birds that come to Ireland in the winter, two types of thrush particularly called the, um, the red wing and the field fair. And during a cold spell, they don't necessarily know that the food on your bird table is food. They've never experienced humans feeding them before. So that they'll although they might be in your garden surrounded by food, they starve to death in the cold weather because they don't know they can eat it. But if you put out apples, either put on the lawn or cut in half and spear it onto branches, they recognize what apples are because in their breeding range in places like Scandinavia and in Iceland, they eat wild crab apples. And they recognize, oh, it looks like a big crab apple. And then they eat it that way. Oh. Um, that works well. And then you mentioned water, and that's very important. If temperatures especially go below freezing, it's very hard for birds to find enough water to drink and to bathe in. So putting a little dish of water out, keeping topping up in the morning with fresh water, just even for a couple of hours on frozen water, that makes a big difference. Okay, let's see if I can get through some questions. Can you give dry porridge to birds? Somebody wants to know. <laughs> Um, what, what you'll find with, with dry with dry porridge is that it tends to blow away quite quickly. Um, the birds will eat it. It, it, it can, you know, it, 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 if they have drink water to drink with it, it will help. But best to mix it actually with a little bit of water, and that'll work. But, but dry porridge is fine, especially, okay. uh, and, and um, you know, um, they, they, they will they will they'll happily eat that. Yeah. Margaret in Tallow says she's she has a beautiful coloured pheasant. Mm. comes to her garden. That's really nice. Oh, that's that they go to the survey? Yeah, it would be, absolutely. And Anne says, my garden is full of all sorts of birds. I have very friendly robins. They actually come into the kitchen demanding food. Lots of crows, pigeons, starlings, do- doves. Some of the birds prefer to eat cat food. Could you ask Niall, is that okay? Oh, yes, it is okay. Yes, and I see this quite a bit. I don't have a cat myself, but my neighbours do, and I see I see the, the birds eating the cat food there as well. It's 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 very nutritious for them, and there's nothing there's nothing in the cat food that would cause any harm to the birds. So, um, so certainly that's um, that's absolutely fine, and it'd be very high in protein, very high in vitamins and minerals. Um, so yeah, it'd be absolutely fine. Obviously, um, it brings them into closer contact with the cats, so that, that can be a downside. Um, to keep an eye out for that, but no, cat food's fine, absolutely. Okay, so else is putting a bell around uh, a cat's neck is very important if you're bringing um, birds into the garden. That does work because they hear the bell, isn't it? It's uh, ringing in the bell. Yes, so some, and sometimes having quite a large bell, you know, you know, because cats are cats are very good at silencing that bell. They they, they learn how to walk in such a way that they keep it quiet. So it certainly gives it certainly gives the the birds a better chance. I say as well though, before you put your bird food out you know, on the bird table or even on the ground, make sure that there's nowhere the birds can be easily ambushed from, so they can see danger coming from all around. What you often find when a cat approaches, or a fox, or a, a dog, or a sparrowhawk, or something like that, you'll find that it's very often the blackbird that spots it first, and it gives this alarm call, and all the other birds are tuned into this alarm call, and you'll suddenly see them just suddenly fly off all of a sudden. Um, so they are very vigilant, but you want to make sure that there's nothing, no vegetation too close that something can just jump out of them. Probably. Okay, all right. Birdwatch Ireland. Uh, .ie. That's all lowercase. If people want to sign up for the survey and we hope lots and lots of people do it. Uh, Niall, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you.
Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Niall Hatch of uh, Birdwatch Ireland. If you'd like to take part in the survey, why not sign up birdwatchireland.ie. And judging by the amount of questions and comments that came in there, there's a lot of bird lovers in the area. It is Thursday, by the way, so we'll continue on the animal theme. If you have a question for Jane Pickett, our resident vet, you can get that into us, uh, please, uh, because Jane will be answering them in the next hour. And we're also going to catch up with the Court McSherry uh, Lifeboat I want to hear about that amazing rescue of that dog Bonnie uh, yesterday and of course in the next hour your chance to win tickets to the pantomime and tickets to go uh, bowling because we've teamed up with the Everyman and their panto this year is Beauty and the Beast. Singer Shane McGowan and sadly the news has just broken that Shane McGowan has passed away this morning at the age of uh, 65 and of course Shane uh, comes out every Christmas. Now we play Pogues tracks throughout the year but he's so, so identical identified uh, with uh, Christmas because of that particular song and he's been very, very unwell for most of this year and, and his lovely wife was sharing stuff on photographs of him on Instagram you could see how unwell he was and then there was he went home earlier this week and everyone thought oh there was a sense of is he getting better but maybe not the reality was he wanted to go home to pass away at home uh, surrounded by his wife and uh, loved ones so that is the late Shane Shane McGowan just hearing the news that he has passed away and interesting you know here we are and well it was the 30th of November Kirsty McCall uh, who he made that song famous uh, with uh, she died over Christmas do you remember there was a boating accident uh, where she was killed while on her Christmas holiday so they'll be forever associated because of the Christmas song but now both uh, Shane's death being so near to Christmas and uh, the late Kirsty McCall having passed away at Christmas may he rest in peace and I can see some texts in from people uh, saying how saddened they were to hear of the news of the death of Shane McGowan 0818 103 we've got the Everyman's favourite traditional panto back with us this year and it is Beauty and the Beast now it's opening this Saturday the 2nd of December but to celebrate the Everyman have teamed up with the Leisureplex uh, to give you a fun festive family day out there. The family passes are for four people to go and see Beauty and the Beast at the Everyman on the 9th of December. So that's Saturday week. You'll get a goodie bag on arrival at the theatre but we're also giving you a family pass for four to go bowling at the Leisureplex on McCurtain Street. If you'd like to find more details about the tickets to the Panto then you can go to everymancork.com Now by text and WhatsApp only please. Our question today is candlesticks very much feature in this year's Beauty and the Beast. In Beauty and the Beast, what do the candlesticks do? Do they A, sing or B, clear the tables? Do they A, sing or B, clear the tables? So what are the candlesticks known for in Beauty and the Beast? If you can get texting or WhatsApping 0862 103 103. And please only enter if you are free, willing and available for you and your family to go to the Everyman on Saturday the 9th of December because we can't transfer these tickets. It's a half seven start, uh, by the way. So what do the candles, what are the candles best known for in Beauty and the Beast? Do they sing or do they clear the tables? Get texting or WhatsApping 0862 103 103. Hold off by the way if you are planning on texting him with a pet question for Jane uh, because I don't want it to get lost in the middle of the competition. You can call John Paul with a, a pet question to 0818 103 103. Now I was chatting with uh, Niall Hatch of uh, Bird Watch in the last hour looking for Cork families if you'd like to get involved 
involved, uh, Cork people to get involved in the bird watch uh, survey. A lot of people loving their birds, that's for sure. Somebody has sent me on a picture of what they've called a charm of goldfinches. Is that what a group of goldfinches are called? And this listener said, I counted 30 of them in my garden. Oh God, Nile Hatch and Birdwatch, I'd love you to take part in the survey. Hi Patricia, my daughter has robins. They eat out of her hand, but they'll only eat granola. Says uh, uh, Ginny, yeah, and it's the same. Robins will come to your garden. They're they're very very ter- territorial, and they're meant to be very timid. But yeah, I've got a neighbour across from me. I often see her share stuff on uh, social media, and literally the robins are eating out of her hand as well. It takes a lot of time and a lot of uh, effort. Somebody says I can see large thrushes in my garden at this time of year. Don't know if Niall mentioned thrushes uh, or not, but thank you. And it's uh, birdwatchireland.ie if you'd like to take part in that survey. And you'll continue to do it. Starting this week, you continue to do it right over the winter months. It goes on until uh, February. On briquettes that we mentioned earlier, and it seems briquettes are on sale. You you can get them. Uh, John says, Patricia, I get briquettes from my coal uh, man. Uh, it says that they are made in Germany. They're seven euro per bale. Oh, that's cheaper because somebody else was saying that they saw uh, briquettes. Was it Baz in Bantry said they saw briquettes and they were 11.50. Maybe it was um, uh, a larger bale. And someone else was saying, if I can find it now, somebody else was saying that they heard, I think it was uh, Dermot Bannon, you know, the uh, interior designer guy, I'm sure it was Dermot Bannon, uh, who um, said that while we're not making briquettes anymore uh, in this uh, country, but they're being made out of willow. So there's a kind of an Irish version of them rather than being made from peat. You can get ones that are made from uh, willow. On my immigration and asylum seekers and people seeking international protection and Ukrainians coming to this country and the government basically saying they've exhausted all the options and the Department of Integration are saying within days they are going to run out of accommodation for international protection applicants who then will face sleeping rough on the streets. Uh, Joe says, Patricia, there's lots of advertisement on the radio asking people to make dwellings available for people who are fleeing war in in Ukraine. But what about the people of Gaza? The people of Gaza are victims of war as well. Are they lesser beings, says Joe? I think the problem with Gaza, Joe, is that the people can't get out. They're the ones who are in Gaza, are stuck in uh, Gaza. When that war ends, will there be refugees fleeing Gaza? There may well be, but at the moment they, they just can't get out. They are stuck in that war zone. Jennifer says, I lived in the UK for over 40 years. And I warned what's happening in this country when I came home. I warned people that it would happen here. Uh, to hear that woman from Maureen from Inishannon this morning talk about how they are going to offer refuge to one family from Afghanistan, I felt nauseated, says uh, Jennifer. Surely our own living in hotels should be accommodated first. This is the problem that happened in the UK. The English will put their names down for council houses, for, exe- for example. They could be on the list for 10 years. They wouldn't get it. And instead, people who were seeking asylum were were given the accommodation instead. That created tension and Jennifer is fearful that the same thing is going to happen here. Somebody else says, Patricia, the country of Ukraine is 759% larger than Ireland as a country. The war is only affecting a small part. Surely that's room elsewhere in their own country to accommodate their own war refugees. Hi Patricia, we're not a wealthy country. We are instead living on the never-never with the reality that we are in massive debt 
despite the revenue surplus. And normal people are struggling with the cost of living. We need to use the recent revenue surpluses to pay down some of our national debt while at the same time maintaining supports to counteract the cost of living. We should also improve our infrastructure, namely hospitals, schools and roads. If the much-discussed downturn does happen, we need to be better prepared than we are now, where currently every Irish citizen, when you look at the national debt, owes €44,000 per person. This is one of the highest debt burdens in the world. No country with this enormous national debt can be called a wealthy country. If we paid off some of this debt, our interest payments then would lessen. Consequently, we would save more than we pay off for years into the future. And this would help us to avoid a repeat of the draconian cuts back in 2007. Meanwhile, we must not accept the delusion and mantra that we are a wealthy country when the facts prove quite clearly that we are not. No name on that text. And another one says, Patricia, most people have no problem welcoming victims of uh, war, but they should be families only. With identification papers, once they land in Ireland, they should be traceable. If they receive housing and social welfare, they should not be allowed to beg on the streets. If they choose to work, fair play. They should get entitlements in respect of the hours and days that they work just like Irish people, bringing hundreds of thousands of single males who have no interest in working into our system should be, they should be warned that they may be subject to rejection from the state and sent home. If you don't have a passport, then you should be instantly deported. And if they leave to go back on holidays or to return home, they should not be allowed re-enter unless they're already working within the system. Other member states are taking refugees, but they're leaving those states. Why? because they know that they can get more here in uh, Ireland. 0818103103. Some of your texts and comments uh, coming in. And just by the way, it was Mary who messaged about Dermot Bannon uh, was speaking on uh, TV only earlier this morning and he was talking about the fact that all the briquette factories are closed in Ireland. Briquettes are oh, still made in Ireland from a willow tree. They're eco-friendly briquettes says Mary in accordance to Dermot Bannon a man in the know The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council reminding you to support local when choosing gifts this Christmas they will host a talk entitled Back to the Beginning, The Magic and Rituals of Christmas. It's happening tonight at 8 in Clonakilty GAA Pavilion. Uh, Shane Levan from Cork College of Further Education and Training will be the guest speaker. Uh, and it's €5 Euro entry fee and uh, you pay on the door tonight. The More the Merrier chat group monthly get-together will be held in Gertvera Hall in Ballinine. That's tonight at half past seven. Again, all are welcome. While bingo is not bingo, the lottery is on in Kildallery, the next draw community office this afternoon at four with a large jackpot, €11,400. Social dancing in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tomorrow. Music is by Tim Joe and Anne, dancing from nine to twelve midnight, admission €10. And all are welcome. It does include teas. And a Christmas flower demonstration with Margaret O'Hearn will be held in Crookstown Hall tomorrow night starting at 8. Admission €10 and the arrangement will be raffled at the end of the night. Proceeds from the evening are in aid of the local Church of Ireland churches in Kilmurray, Aherla and Temple Martin and Drumahan Tennis Club they're holding a fundraising table quiz at Hickey's Bar in Drumahan tomorrow Friday night 8 o'clock tables of 4 40 euro all are welcome 
Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And you can stop texting us on our Everyman Panto competition because our winner today is Kevin O'Connor of Melbourne Court on the Model Farm Road. Congratulations, Kevin. You've won for yourself a family pass to go to the Everyman Saturday week, the 9th of December, along with a family pass to Leisureplex and a goodie bag on arrival at the theatre. If anybody else interested in purchasing tickets on what is going to be a fantastic panto this year, you can go to everymancork.com for further details. And we have one more family pass which we will give away tomorrow but stop texting us on that and we'll now open the text messages if you've got a question for Jane Pickett our resident vet you can get those questions in by text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 I mentioned the passing of Shane McGowan and we played Fairy Tale of New, New York somebody says Patricia there'll be great singing in heaven this year between Shane McGowan and Kirsty McCall they'll get to sing their duet uh, together oh, that's such a sweet thought. Thank you for that. And then just on the whole thing of the month of December and missing loved ones and as we come into Christmas missing loved ones etc. Uh, Trickster says Hi Patricia I'm getting into the Christmas spirit and I'm enjoying the C103 Christmas tunes this past week but once the 1st of November starts you start to see the Christmas merchandise machine really beginning to roll and yet we're a good eight weeks away from Christmas. Maybe it's me maybe as I'm getting old but I think loved ones passing away in November nowadays families are thinking of the empty seat that's going to be around the table it's in our faces much more uh, because the lead up to Christmas is so much longer than it was uh, years ago. I wonder do others feel the same? Yeah and November for a lot of people is about remembering loved ones and actually staying on remembering uh, loved ones. Uh, Dermot uh, joins me. Good morning to you Dermot. Good morning Patricia. Now your beautiful wife passed away in uh, May and you want to talk to us about you were at Bantry General Hospital last night. Tell me about the service that was held. Well, actually, Tuesday the night, it was held in the the the, the Bantry Church, not far down from the hospital. There was a very big crowd there. It was done very, very in the night. There was for the Lake Medical Service. There was three different denominations, denominations there. And there was candles, and there was a big cross up on the altar. We all brought candles, and it found a big cross. And uh, the director of nursing and some of the nurses and doctors done some of the reading. It was very, very touching. It was very nice. And, well, they don't... When you're not off a number, they'll, they'll remember they'll remember you and they so on. They're all coming up and came and spoke just like they'll, they'll, yeah. they'll remember us and so on. Yeah, and it, it's and that's personal touch is so important, Dermot. Ah, uh, yes, just something else to the world altogether. Like we thought as uh, my daughter, well, my daughters came home and my, my son, was, the three of us went back there and we were saying they just so nice and so touching and done so well, you know. And is it ju- was it just for people who passed away in Bantry Hospital or was it for people who died in the area? No, this was one by, by the hospital for people who died in the hospital. All oh, right, okay. You're the younger, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife died in the high dependency unit to talk to me. And was she in there for long? She was in there on Friday. She walked out to the cabin on Friday under her own scheme and she passed away with the morning when they just bought the door, door on disease she had, but they said on Saturday, she would already end and go, but she just went to the nose. But she never suffered as such up to date, like. Yeah, yeah. She was going to be slow on her walking, things like, but she was, she was, she was okay. But she went very quickly, is what you're saying? Yeah, 
you yeah. would have lost two, 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 two days, like. Wow. That's, that was a shock for you and the family. I know, I know, I know. Nothing takes away that pain. No, no, but we were just saying, like, how good the hospital and Matthew were, and how well they did this service, and how thoughtful they are, like, that does... Yeah, and listen, well, well, well done for taking the time out and well done to everybody at Bantry Hospital and everyone who took part in that service at the church in uh, Bantry. It sounds like it was really, really special. And who, how, how will you spend Christmas this year, Dermot? We'll be Christmas home and then be, I have three with me and the rest of it will be coming and going. Okay. Seven, seven dollars. Yeah, it'll, 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 be, it'll be a busy one. But your, what was your wife's name? Mary. Mary. But Mary will be very much spoken about and remembered. Oh, yeah, because she was the head of everything, like Toronto. I know. I, I met a man yesterday. She was giving him a Christmas. She was making him a Christmas for putting him in the last 15 years. This is the first thing that they do without it. Oh, God. <laughs> Hopefully, somebody else might make it for the man himself instead. I know. Good woman. She was a good woman. All right. Listen, Dermot, thank you for that. And, th- and thank you for sharing that. And just and, and to say well done to everybody at Bantry Hospital. Look just after. Just thanks, just thanks to Bantry Hospital. Okay. Look after yourself. God bless. God bless. And there's a lot of people facing those memorial services. A lot of them happen at, have been happening throughout the month of November. So it's good to acknowledge uh, everybody in Bantry Hospital and everyone who was involved in that uh, service last night. 0818-103-103. Now, the Court McSherry RNLI lifeboat station was alerted yesterday, I'm told, after four o'clock by two people who spotted a dog who got into some difficulties on a sand bank at Burren Rock in Court McSherry Bay. Uh, to tell us more and to take up the story is uh, Vincent O'Donovan. And uh, Vincent is the Court McSherry RNLI lifeboat press officer. Uh, good morning or good afternoon to you, Vincent, as it is now. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, tell me about the dog and uh, was the dog in danger of being swept out to sea? Absolutely. I suppose, uh, yes, there was, um, uh, you know, when when the bleepers are activated by our lifeboat operation manager, Brian O'Dwyer, you know, nobody knows actually what's going to happen or nobody knows what the call is. So I suppose just after four o'clock, um, the, the bleepers were activated and uh, the crew uh, assembled at the lifeboat house and uh, thanks mainly to the two people that were on uh, the shore yesterday. I think one of their names was Carol Galvin and another lady with her. And they spotted this dog uh, on the, what we call the sandbank uh, in Corpenshire Harbour. But the tide had been covering the sandbank. So the dog was now in the tide. And it was just about an hour and a half before high water and high water springs. So the run on the channel there would be severe. So there's no doubt about it, the dog was in severe danger uh, and I suppose uh, immediately uh, our, our lifeboat crew assembled and uh, two of our crew, uh, two coxswains actually, Ken Cashman and Mark John Gallen, who were very nearby and were there within minutes, uh, they proceeded to launch uh, with other crew people the uh, our inshore uh, boathouse uh, boat and uh, headed in the vicinity of the, the dog. 
and we know I suppose we, we have we have two goals here. We first of all we want to save that dog and secondly we don't want anybody else going into the sea yeah. that could get in difficulty in the channels. So I suppose it, it looked from, from 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 that kind of few minutes we thought, My God, this dog won't survive you know, uh, I happened to be just very, very nearby yesterday, only a minute away. So I witnessed the whole incident, and when we were there for it, but um, the dog was in the channel, and there was another another person on the pier, Dave Edwards, uh, local uh, boat owner, and he proceeded across with another boat with little petrol in the engine, and you know it all happened very fast. And thanks be to God, um, within I'd say fifteen minutes. Uh, our crew people had the uh, the dog uh, safely rounded up from the channel and into the lifeboat and back home then with another five minutes to our lifeboat. Because obviously, breath. Vincent, the dog would have been absolutely terrified. So you're trying to, you know, you can't say to the dog, we're here to help you. He doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the, this is the danger because the dog from afterwards talking to their owners afterwards, the dog had been frightened by other uh, dogs in the vicinity of Borden, maybe around lunchtime, and they were out looking for the dog all over the Kilbritton oh. area uh, for about four hours. So so the dog was frightened, so the dog probably was never in that sea before, yeah. and the dog headed straight into the channel. And, uh, you know, it's not easy as well, because you what you're dealing with then, you don't know whether it's a friendly dog or not so friendly I know, dog. I know, I know, I know. And, and God help him, it sounds like he was a nervous dog who would have been absolutely petrified. So you don't know what way he's going to react. But luckily, and you found out the dog's name is Bonnie. Yes, indeed, because um, when we came back into shore, um, uh, immediately what we do, of course, is, is, is to, to check the... Uh, the uh, the neck uh, tag on the dog, yeah. and thanks to the God, there was a number on that neck tag that we had rang, and uh, my God, the owners were so so delighted that uh, he had been found, he or she, we don't know, had been found, and the owner, the, the name of the dog was Bonnie. So, actual fact, we started to call the dog Bonnie, <laughs> and I've never seen a dog in my life so so appreciative of of strangers, yeah. you know. And it was a beautiful uh, collie, kind of a sheep dog, really really tame, real big pet and there it was soaked in water and uh, and splashing around us but um you know it it was it was a lovely rescue and a great ending to uh to uh, to to a call out that, that we didn't know what we were going out for normally we'd be going out for uh, missing people our boats uh, and yesterday's one was was a lovely ending and does i mean have you rescued many animals over the years Yes, we have. I suppose uh, we the last time I suppose that we were uh, out for dogs was probably about two uh, two years ago uh, in a very similar area. But that time the tide was literally out, so they were able to get onto the beach. Yesterday was an t- entirely different situation. That's why our coxswains were very anxious to get over there very quickly because this this dog would be taken away. And you know, I suppose. Afterwards, we, we, we saw the, 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 when the owners arrived, and the owner is, is living in, Kil, in, in Burn in Kilbritton, uh, when Maria arrived with another friend of hers, I have never seen uh, such a heartwarming greeting between a, a dog and a person. Oh. Both of them, uh, the dog ran to the person and the person ran to the dog, and uh, she had been saying to us, you know, that, my God, she had been in tears for the last three or four hours trying to, to find her love of dog. And of course, uh, she didn't know that all of this was going on. She didn't realise that the dog had got stranded out at sea. No, yeah. abso- no, 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 
nothing at all. She hadn't seen, uh, and, and of course she knew was when, when, when she got, she the, got call. the phone call okay. from us because of the dog's name and the collar. And, uh, you know, she, she sent a picture across to us last night of the dog uh, in front of the fire in her place at home and uh, looking relieved uh, as she was herself, you know. But, um, you know, great thanks is, is due to them two people yesterday on the pier who, who, who saw it. Who raised the alarm, yeah. Well absolutely, done. because yeah. we're always there. The Coast Guard are always there uh, to deal with animals as well as any anything else on the coastline. And, and thanks be to God for that. And certainly, Bonnie, when I was a child, my, my party piece used to be that song, My Body Lies Over the Ocean. Well, certainly this Bonnie tried to lie over the ocean, but thanks to the good people of Court McSherry Lifeboat, uh, she's back safe and sound. Listen, it's a lovely, lovely story. Well done. You're, you do fantastic work uh, at all of the lifeboat stations, uh, but I have a particular affinity to the Court Mac lifeboat station. Somebody wants to know, are your Christmas cards on sale? Yes, they are. They are on sale and they're on sale uh, in, in, in numerous shops and they're also on sale in, in our community shop in Court McSherry and we've got a bazaar uh, on Sunday week in, in the community centre in Court McSherry and they're, uh, they're on sale at that between 3 and 5pm. So uh, yes, they are. And, beautiful and thank you for all your support for That's us. That's our and, pleasure. And, you know, our pleasure. You do great work. Listen, uh, Vincent, thank you for that. Look after yourself and no doubt we'll talk again soon. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. That, Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Vincent O'Donovan who joins us from uh, Court Mac. And Vincent is the RNLI Volunteer Lifeboat Press Officer. But well done to everybody that was involved in the rescue of Bonnie yesterday, who is home safe and sound. 0818 103 103. If you have a pet question, please, for Jane Pickett, our resident vet, can you get uh, them into us now, uh, please? You can call John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp me to 0862 103. 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Number of people listening to my chat there with Vincent from the Court McSherry Lifeboat, uh, including somebody said, Patricia, please pass on my warmest congratulations to the crew of the Court McSherry Lifeboat who saved that little collie dog, Bonnie, yesterday. Each and every one of them are heroes. And someone else says, well done to the Court McSherry crew from all of their friends in Mill Street. Thank you for that. And uh, the service that I spoke about that went on for Bantry Hospital that Dermot spoke to us about, Mary says, that service in Bantry Hospital is brilliant. My dad died there 20 years ago and they had that service 20 years ago so it's been going on a long time. So it's obviously an annual uh, event. And then lots of people absolutely distraught to hear the news that Jane McGowan of the Pogues has uh, passed away. It's been confirmed uh, this morning. Uh, Somebody says, so sad to hear the news. May he rest in peace. I loved his version of Fairy Tale of New York. And Patricia, I'm absolutely distraught about the news of Shane McGowan's passing. I've always been a huge fan of the Pogues, but especially Fairy Tale of New York, as the song has so much meaning. And that's from uh, Bernice, who says he will be sadly uh, missed. Okay, thank you for that. 0818 103 103. We're turning our attention to the pets in your household because Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group joining me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And and you are very welcome uh, to the programme. Let's get straight in with uh, questions uh, for you. Where are we going with questions? My my computer screen seems to be freezing. Here it is. Um, This is from Norma. Hi, my dog is 15 and a half and has picked up kennel cough. Is there anything I can give him? I'd never heard of it before and it was his first ever time in a kennel. Oh, Unlucky. 
Oh, goodness. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, OK, so, so what is a, what is kennel cough? Kennel cough is a kind of a bit of an umbrella term, to be honest. It covers most of the common kind of respiratory, so lung and airway infections that we can get, specifically um, some called bordetella, which is an underlying kind of process that can cause that. But it is a bit of an umbrella term. Kennel cough is what we've always called it over the years. What we're more commonly calling it these days is the canine cough. OK, because that's what it is. It's a cough and it can have a, a number of different underlying causes. And you don't always have to go to a kennel to get it. I think the thing is that we always thought that, let's say, kennels are where they get these these coughs and, and, and colds from. But they can't even get them from being at the out of the park, sniffing a leaf that another uh, another dog coughed on a few seconds ago, that might do it, into the groomers, anywhere where they're going to socialise with other dogs, kind of like us at this time of year. Um, although they can get kennel cough at any time of year, I suppose that kind of um, bacteria and infection tends to be a little bit more common um, this time of year. So it can be bacterial, viral is very, very common. Um, and it is a bit, a bit of an umbrella term, as we say, so it can be a number of causes. But I will say though is for this particular pet he's on the older side so if he's 15 that's a brilliant age we want to really keep him well it's exactly like us when we get a little bit older our immune systems may not be as strong as when they were younger when we were younger so we may struggle to fight off infection a bit more than the young sprightly dogs. So it's really important if you are noticing signs of cough in your dog after they've come back from the kennels it's probably a good idea to raise this with your vet. Um, Kennel cough is, and, and canine cough is, is really, really common. And in many, many cases, it'll just run its course, sometimes aided by a little bit of an anti-inflammatory to take down the inflammation in the lungs. Antibiotics are not always needed. As I say, it's not always bacterial. Sometimes it's viral um, and that would not be appropriate. So what I would suggest is speak to your vet. You've got an older pet on your hands that's got a bit of a cough. They're not well in themselves. They won't have as much reserve to fight this off as a younger dog. So they might need a little bit of extra help. So I'd say this warrants an appointment. Bring them to your vet. Get them checked out. Make sure it is indeed canine cough, kennel cough that's causing the problem and not another, let's say, incidental cause of coughs that can occur in dogs. And I'm sure they'll get you on the road to recovery and prescribe some treatment. But I suppose the most important thing is that it, it is treatable. I suppose people worry when, you know, when you yeah. have a dog of that age, that it's just a bit of a worry, isn't it? Uh, more Absolutely. than anything. Uh, OK, um, why has my dog started to eat grass? It's uh, tw 12 months of age. It's just a recent phenomena. How do I stop it? OK, if it's just a recent phenomena and your pet seems otherwise really quite well in themselves um, and they're bouncing around, their appetite's unaffected, they're full of energy, it could be habit. Um, so there's two ways that we can kind of get grass aging. One is habit. And we know from some recent studies that dogs can actually form a, a bit of a taste for eating grass. It can become behavioural. Um, it's not particularly harmful, but they're again, they're not really designed to eat grass, so they don't really digest it in a normal way. Um, so I, we wouldn't advise encouraging behaviour. And the second reason that you can get eating grass is a dog or cat might eat grass when they feel nauseous. So they want to throw up. They're feeling like they want to vomit. And they know for some reason they're very clever and they know that grass probably won't agree with them and they'll probably vomit as a result of that. So sometimes it can be a signal as an underlying um, feeling of nausea or vomiting for a pet. So in that case, it would be a cause for concern. That would need a trip to the vet to check that out. Normally, pets who are kind of incessantly eating grass and I suppose throwing up as a result of it, they might sometimes be otherwise unwell. Think to yourself, well, is there any change in their dietary habits? Are they eating a little bit less? Are they not as hungry to get to the food as they usually are? Are they as energetic as they always are? 
think if you have any doubts or you feel they're just not quite themselves in any other way, then I would be extra cautious and just get that checked out with a vet. It may well be behavioural, it might well be habit, but we don't want to miss any warning signs of issues that might be signalled by a feeling of nausea. And a lot of those things that might cause that are very, very treatable if caught. Okay, and I'm wondering, is this behavioural gene has been on to us, say, three-year-old neutered female, uh, Jack Russell, eating well, very healthy, all of her shots uh, up to date. Uh, But Jean says, for the last two to three months, whenever she leaves the house, the pet's favourite toy now is to chew on the furniture. How do I stop this behaviour? Oh no, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, my heart goes out to you because it's really frustrating. Nobody wants the leg of their beautiful armchair chewed to pieces. Um, it does sound like this could be a little bit of boredom, potentially some separation anxiety. If it's only happening when you're not in the house, then there could be an element of kind of separation anxiety there that they don't really want to be left alone. So I think it's tackling the underlying, underlying issues that might be causing the behavior rather than tackling the behavior itself. Uh, what I would say is there's lots of things that you'll, if you Google online, you'll very easily find lots of potions and things that people have made up to smear on furniture to make them taste nasty. I wouldn't really recommend it. They don't tend to taste very nice and it, a lot of them might not be super safe for pets. And to be honest, in my experience, they just don't really work. Um, so going down that route is not something I particularly advise. What I would say is distraction is going to be your friend. Um, so a few things. Make sure when you are with your pet that you're taking them out and you're giving them lots of kind of mental fulfillment. So lots of interaction with you, um, lots of play, some training. Maybe that gets the brain working, fulfills that. Um, take them out for good long walks if that's appropriate to their life stage and, and health at the moment. And that will kind of burn off some energy but also give them a lot more mental fulfillment they tend to be a lot more kind of balanced if they have that as a baseline so that when you leave if they do have any separation anxiety you might be able to channel any of that anxiety into a more productive behavior so what i'd advise in this situation is maybe investing in, in some very hard wearing chew toys there's lots of brands on the market. The one the one that I'm familiar with is Kong um, or there's Westpaw. And these are very, very strong toys. So they're safe for your pet. But you can fill them with lots of things that might kind of kind of replace that need for chewing and biting at the, the legs of furniture onto something more constructive. And it, it's a really good mental enrichment toy. And it can kind of allay some of the anxiety that the pet will have and channel it into a better behaviour. So have a look at those. Have a look at things that you could stuff those toys with. If your dog is really quick to eat through all of the snacks that you've stuffed inside in the toy, maybe consider putting it in the freezer as well. That makes it an extra little bit harder for them as well. So there are lots of things you can do. But if you're struggling and those initial measures don't work, don't hesitate to reach out to your vet and they'll be able to put you in touch with the behaviours who might be able to have a look. All right, listen, we leave it there. Thanks for that, Jane. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you very Good much. Good afternoon, Jane Pickett, the Adamwood Veterinary Hospital New Market, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow. Time. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.